Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, I, I'll i be really honest here, I have been a little shaky in terms of like what I'm talking about for the podcast for the past couple times because I plan things and then I don't put them in my planning system and then I totally forget. And sometimes that ends up with happy accidents like the episode all about Pokemon that just came out. Sometimes that ends with me forgetting that I went to see Ramayana in theaters. Well, not in theaters, but in a public screening at the Japan Society building in New York City. And I end up putting it off accidentally for like a week in a way that's like not, not actually a while, actually, like maybe two weeks. No, it is not okay, but if you haven't heard the episode all about Ramayana, it is the previous episode of the podcast. You can go check it out right now. Another rush decision that ended up being really interesting to me, though, is what we're talking about this week. And what we're talking about this week is a little show that you probably may not have heard of. Like, I'm not, I'm not joshing this time. Um, from 1987, and that's a show, that's an OVA, a one-episode OVA called Black Magic M66. When Sybil, an investigative reporter, intercepts an emergency military transmission, she has to deal with the deadliest killing machines ever made. Programmed to terminate its creator's granddaughter, Sybil must tackle her toughest mission ever. Now, before before anime was what it what it is now, and it kind of became, and that kind of became what anime was in what may, you'll hear many people refer to as the anime bubble of the early aughts. At, which ultimately popped because of the rise of BitTorrent and internet piracy and all this other very specific stuff of just the anime industry was not modernized enough, quick enough to be prepared for what the internet would do to it eventually. And that's what caused the anime bubble to pop. But what anime became in that time period because it got so popular globally was something very different than what it was before that time period and there are still shades of that um one of the reasons why a lot of people really love cyberpunk edge runners is because it's a real nod to what anime was before it kind of had the edges sanded off both necessarily and not, and both intentionally and not. The the vibe, if you will, that anime had before the 2000s was much grittier, much more male-centric, and much more violent. And by male-centric, I mean, like, 
we're gonna we're gonna get some boobs on screen. Don't you worry about that, young man. Like we're we're gonna do right by you. And it also reflected a real something that I last talked about in Abanabashi, but I doesn't much come up at least in like a Western on a Western anime centric podcast, and that is a kind of like otaku obsession that we don't often think about in America a lot, but is really a real thing. And that is the kind of like America fuck yeah obsession that some otakus have had throughout over the years. If you want a great hilarious take on this, you can go watch, I forget what episode of Abba Nabachi it is, but I've, I posted a clip from it on Instagram, and it, like, it went nuclear, basically, of, like, over the course of a day, because people were like, what the fuck is this thing? I've never seen this before. Like, this is, like, anime intentionally doing a send-up of, like, American culture in a real way. And that and that particular episode of Abanabashi um, is that whole thing. Like, that's the whole deal. It is a send-up of... American culture in some really weird, minute, detailed ways, and also in, like, broad strokes. Like, later on in that episode, they, like, essentially have a snakes on a plane plus diehard scenario, which is wild. Um, but it... Oftentimes what we forget is that lots of anime was really nerd-focused via the way of America and the military and, like, that's not a focus that you see, that you see so much, that you see in anime oftentimes now. And a lot of, like, what you would identify as a military otaku, they are taking military stylings that ultimately come from America and are re and like are re yes yeah, there's some like global stuff there's some like World War II stuff there's some like World War One stuff but they're reinterpreted through a Japanese lens that become a weirdly different thing and also in the 80s you had not, you're not exactly Ghost in the Shell just yet. That happens literally the year I was born, 1989. But you have all of the different bits and pieces that lead up to the like cyberpunk oeuvre that would become that would be Ghost in the Shell. So you have little moments of like clear cyberpunk genre influence in things like what we're talking about. Today, Black Magic M sixty six, or in all kinds of other stuff of the time period, it was just kind of around. It wasn't necessarily like if you looked at stuff leading up to Ghost in the Shell, you could kind of see Ghost in the Shell coming. You could look at, or you could kind of see Akira coming in the same instant, and. Some of that, like, hyper-violence that's demonstrated in both Akira and Ghost in the Shell 
was pretty pervasive throughout anime. I mean, you can go watch a bunch of different videos from um, Bennett the Sage, who I think actually covered Black Magic M66 um, over on Anime Abandoned, and like he shows he'll he'll show you tons of tons of that shit. It's just there. So with all that as a primer, I want to talk about the like rough plot of of this OVA. I want to. But before that, I want to do one more thing, and that is take you through why stuff was released as OVAs. So, we're used to a kind of... The, the kind of censorship of the, um, of, the F, of the FCC here. And that basically means no... Only a certain amount of excessive violence and only a certain amount of full, full female, but bottom half male, very clear point here, nudity on screen. Also, just no sex. Just like no, like no, you have to be very careful about how you demonstrate sex on television. All around the world, that's different. There are there are like French TV is way looser with it, but Japanese TV in particular is way more. Not even Japanese TV. Japanese recorded video is way more constrained in its censorship laws than many other places in the world. For example, if you are watching Japanese porn. They censor all genitalia, just the way it is across porn at all times. You can, a great, um, I forget the, I'll put the link, um, I'll put a link in the description of this podcast to the actual series. I haven't finished it yet. I think I might, I'm not sure I talked about it even. I think I may have talked about it with Danny on this podcast, with my cousin Danny. Um, about, kind of about the rise of Jap of Japanese porn and the censorship of Japanese porn and, like, one specific director. And it's really interesting as he, that director does what we would assume porno directors do <laughs> in America. Like, he wants to make, wants to film people fucking. And how he, like, butts up against that and how... Him and his, like, and the love interest slash his, like, muse slash starlet is, like, are butting up against the, like, censorship machine of the Japanese entertainment industry slash government. And, they, like, it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing to, like, just see happen and watch happen because eventually he goes to jail for for essentially violating censorship laws he goes to jail a couple times um i think in a couple different countries actually <laughs> but basically the censorship rules are way different in japan and so if you want to get away with more 
not get away with all of it the way you would in America if you release something on video. But if you want to get away with more, you just don't have a TV broadcast. You just release what they call an only video animation, hence OVA or OAV, only... I forget what, um, only available on video or something. But an OVA, an only video animation, means that it went straight to video, went straight to tape or straight to DVD. Um, and that means there's no broadcast, and that means that they can get away with, A, oftentimes OVAs are limited runs, meaning... I think the longest OVA series have been in the, like, have been a full series, like, 13 episodes. And you can look at things like, um, like, I think, like, I think, uh, Goku Sen is, a re its original run was in OVA. I think it got an another series later. Um, Tenchi Muyo originally was OVAs. And that's how they got, like, tits on screen in the first episode. <laughs> if they did those, if they did those, they as OVAs. So the first 13 episodes of Tenchi Muyo were released direct direct to consumer. They weren't aired anywhere. And like I keep saying, that lets th that let them get away with things like top half female nudity, like some of the more suggested plot lines, stuff like that. And that is the kind of space that Black Magic M sixty six sits in. So the basic premise of this of this one episode OVA is a reporter named Civil picks up a picks up a distress call from the mil, from the military in this like in a future in a future city in a future city setting, and this distress signal is this military like hey. We fucked up, and we let loose these two androids. And these two androids are M66 units. And eventually, they do kill, pretty early on in the OVA, the first one. The, the, one of the two. The second of the two proceeds to go on a bloody rampage throughout an, basically an entire city. Killing and murder. Like, killing just, I would describe it as oodles of people in the most, like, laser beam from their left eye, cut this person in half. Like, real Akira-style hyper-violence, wanton destruction bullshit. And because it's an OVA, because it's a one-episode thing, you get... What at the time would have been something akin to a movie budget. And I think the thing is like 45 minutes long. But, um... Let me see if I can find the runtime here. Um, but... It's... The, the budget of it lets them do stuff you don't get to do in other... In other, in other ways. This is another reason why lots of things... That go to OVA, that go the OVA format, go that way because they can do a limited run and they can do more with it. A a great example of stretching your budget 
actually is from Studio Trigger's like first huge work, which is FLCL, which is um not FLCL, which is Kill the Kill. <laughs> Alliterations will get you every time. Um, and Kill the Kill, they have whole ca- they have a whole character who is essentially paper cutout animation because they like they spent their budget other places. So they came up with this stylistic moment of this character, I forget the character's name, who is an absolute nightmare, but is basically like a paper cutout being moved across the screen. <laughs> for lack of a better term. For lack of a better ex- like visual explanation. And it strikes you as funny. It fits in with the overall feeling of the show. It's not too doesn't stand out too much but if you know what's happening you know what they're doing there here there is no such compulsion to have to do that they are pouring money into they're pouring money and talent and time into one i just looked up it's one 48 minute episode so you get these great moments of animation and these great cuts that you wouldn't necessarily get in other... If this had gone a different way. If this had been stretched out to three episodes, maybe. If they had made a whole series of this, if they made a whole 12-episode order of this, you wouldn't get something that looks like this. Especially in the time period when this was coming out. This was... I think this predates a kid. I know that this definitely predates um, Ghost in Shell, and I believe it also predates Akira. So, what? And this, and I want to be clear. This all also predates what you would refer to as the golden age of anime, which includes Akira, which includes a- Akira. Um, it includes. Um, Ghost in the Shell, it includes Gundam. It's this, like, period of time when anime was knocking it out of the park. And, but stuff from before then is not bad. It's like, it, it's, it's all working up to the same effect and, like, general look, general look and feel that anime would come to have. But it all still has, like, this, this, this OVA comes out of a universe in which most of the, which most character designs would probably have seen Dirty Pair. Because the main two characters, Sybil and Ferris, look like the main two, the main character, main two characters from Dirty Pair. They just do. They ha- they're coded almost the same way. And that, those influences eventually play off of each other, 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 until they kind of almost, almost parody each other all the way up to the point of, okay, now you have a character like the Major in Ghost in the Shell, or now you have a character like the female side character from Akira, or Kaneda from Akira. You look, if you look backwards from those 
from those two things, from the two cyberpunk kind of masterpiece works, you see all the different puzzle pieces, like slowly, slowly coming together to make those things what they would be. And I think that I think, and I've started using, um, we started taking a look at mid journey in my, in my office. I work for a, I work for a landscape design firm and we started looking at it just to like, just to mess with it and see what like ideas we could put in and get out. We have no intention of using that artwork ever, but it's an interesting way to see some, to see something interpolated immediately and see like, oh, do we like this? Is this like a starting point? We would never use that stuff to show a client. We we could do that work ourselves, but it's right there. And so I've been messing with it for like maybe about two days now. And, and even I can see when I throw something in, like I threw in an insane, um, an insane quarry an insane request of it i said okay show me a gundam made of cherry blossom petals and it, it did a, it did a pretty okay job but in like the like mechanical line of what it was doing as a giant robot because it, it knew enough not straight up give me a gundam it like gave me a giant robot but like the chest design of the robot parts of it felt like it was taking pieces off of the Bumblebee head design from the Michael Bay Transformers movie, doing some like computer filtering and sticking it onto the side, sticking it onto the side and making that a peck. Cause I could clearly see like, oh, this is the camera lens of Bumblebee's eye. And then this is the full eye socket housing from what mechanically that what his head was just like, ripped off of him and slapped onto this thing. And that's really interesting, but it's not... The thing that all of the AIs that you're seeing all over the internet and all over the media right now, because there's a genuine gold, there's a genuine gold rush and, like, Cold War scenario happening with AIs between tech companies now, is they are not truly interpreting what they're what they're what you're seeing isn't true interpretation of their um of your prompt it is mixing and mashing it is take a piece from here take a piece from there take a piece from here take a piece from there even if that is slight little brush strokes in the shape of a little cartoon panda that you may have never seen before but almost certainly looks like something else on the internet <laughs> and that's why artists are suing this but artists wouldn't sue um Mamoru Oshii the director of Ghost in the Shell even though this came out beforehand and you look at a character like Sybil and you look at a character like Motoko Kusanagi, and there's a very clear link there. Mamoru Oshii definitely had definitely seen Black Magic M66, but he hasn't. But the 
the Van Gogh quote is really true here. Good good artists borrow, great artists steal. What Van Gogh's really talking about there is he's talking about inspiration and drawing inspiration and points of inspiration from things that came before you, from what you would call the old masters. When you when you compose a drawing, if you use, you know that it will be more appealing if you use the golden ratio. So you go find the golden ratio grid and you overlay it and you put it in the background and you draw to that. That is a form of stealing. It is using that concept, but in it's also a form of reinterpretation. It's using that concept to your advantage for your end piece. And that's what I think is really interesting about Blackmagic M66. It is so clearly one of the pieces that led up to a... that led up to the cyberpunk moments we have all come to know. It, it Even in its ways, led up to things like Blade Runner, things like the original cyberpunk video um rpg or like tabletop rpg it absolutely led up to things like cyberpunk 2077 those those things do not exist without this existing first and i i don't even know i don't even know if this is available anywhere i have an old um it's available on high dive you can Okay, that that's even better. You can go if you have a high dive subscription. And if you don't, it's like five bucks, and it's high dive is packed full of really awesome shit. I have my own personal digital copy from the dark days of this, but you can go stream this on high dive right now. <laughs> it's it's one episode. It's forty eight minutes. It's worth your time. If only it's hilarious because it's definitely it's a hard R. Um, for violence and profanity. Um, but it... And it's an old dub, which means you get some really funny moments. Like, there's a scene where the military is like, Okay, this fucking weird nightmare murder... Nightmare murder robot is loose. We need to kind of, like, cordon off the area where we're pretty sure it is. So, like, it can't kill more people than necessary because it's already killed so many soldiers at this point. The, the, the Major, the, as he's credited in um, on my anime list, is, like, having his men set up a roadblock and he's just kind of pissed because his men are morons. So he just yeah, he just like screams at one of them. He's like, "You be more prominent. I don't know. Fucking do your job." And it's just like it. So there's some like weird. This was definitely dubbed in like the late '80s, early '90s of it all. So it, it like the you'll you'll. Here's some voice actors you have definitely fucking heard before, is what I will say. Um, 
Like, uh, what's his face? Um, per- Professor, I think, his, Professor Slade is um, Prescott Simmons. Let's see who else Prescott Simmons has played. Prescott Simmons has been in Samurai Champloo. He has been in, uh, he's been in Ghost in the Shell. He's been in Ghost in the Shell Complex second gig. Um, he's been in, I know he's been in other shit. Um, he'd been in, he'd been in Cyborg 009, the Cyborg Soldier. He was in the Big O. Um, oh God, I need to get, I need to get to where, who the hell he was. Cause he was, he was in, he's also been in Akira. Um, I, that just showed up. Um, which Akira came after, and this is a good point here. Akira came after Black Magic M66 by a year. <laughs> so it is. A, there's a direct there's a direct um connection there. I think he's also at some he's in a Ghost in the Shell thing. He if you've seen, he's in he's straight up in Ghost in the Shell um the the 1995 film. If you've seen a cyberpunk thing, a famous cyberpunk anime, you'll probably recognize his voice and like you'll perk I perked up and I was like, "What what the fuck? What are you doing here, guy from Akira? What are you doing here, guy from the Big O slash most cyberpunk anime?" So they're like but like the the thing to know there is he what he was in the original Gundam also like he has been at this at this point of M66 he had been doing it for a little while at the point you're aware from of him he'd been doing it for a while he'd been like the go-to guy who does like weird one-off voices for cyberpunk shit it's and it's just like it's fun to like see that stuff and that 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 voice actor role the um what was his name again um Prescott Prescott Simon or Simon Prescott demonstrates what I'm talking about here it demonstrates that M66 is clearly a building block to Akira and then to Ghost in the Shell, and then to Standalone Complex, and then that branches out to things like all the other cyberpunk media that you're probably familiar with. And I know it can be kind of a drag sometimes to go watch this shit, to like go put up with this shit, but on some level, this is the reason you do it. You do it because when you go back when you go back and watch something like Akira again or you go back and you watch Ghost in the Shell again or even you watch something like Cyberpunk Edge Runner you'll have more of an appreciation for it because you'll be like oh that little piece of mechanical design feels like the android for the M66 android from Black Magic like, if you look at the M66 android here, 
do you see what starts to almost be Lucy's mechanical design in her in her character design from um what's it called from Studio Trigger in Cyberpunk Edge Runner? You see this kind of androgynous design that is in something like Ghost in the Shell. You see in like I said in Sybil's design, you see shadows of you see reflections of Dirty Pair in both Sybil and Ferris. But you also see what would become the female supporting character in Akira. You see moments of the major in, Sing, in Sybil that would become Matoga Kusanagi. Like, Mako Kusanagi... Bad bitch, military, hardware-wielding, kick-ass, full-body cyborg murder queen. <laughs> it's very much a trope that had existed before you get to... um, Before you get to Ghost in the Shell. But then, if you want to, like, ride this train all the way to the end, you can take a... Like, the character type of Matoko... You can see that reflected and reinterpreted, and like, like, phone, like a, a game of phone call all the way up to a character like Makima in um, Chainsaw Man. Oh, and, and also another side of that coin is a character like, um, what's her face, the um, one-eyed girl. Oh, I forget. Um, uh, Himino from um. From uh, Chainsaw Man is also a slight interpretation of moments of Matoko's character in Ghost in the Shell standalone complex when the kid like asks about whether or not you can have sex with a cyborg body and Matoko is like, you want to find out, kid? And <laughs> he realizes his question was fucked from the... From the jump. And it's like, no, please, God, no. I'm going to leave now. And the... So, like, those... These shows, when they came out, like, these, like, weird one-off things... Came out, not necessarily in piles, but close enough to in piles... That they can be easy to miss. And it... As with any media, and I'm just as guilty of this as the next guy, you don't always want to go looking back at this type of stuff. Like, it, it's stunning to me that, and I don't know what this means about the new Trigun because I haven't kept up with it. I'll probably try and catch up with it maybe when it's finished because I have a feeling the way I'm going to make it through that thing is I'm just going to have to shotgun it. I'm just going to have to suspend disbelief for, like, a day and shotgun that whole thing into my face. Because that's the only way I'll be able to do it. Because I have the same issues that, um, that Cosplay Fiend, who I've talked to on this podcast, and is of the same kind of generation of old Taku that I, that I am, that, um, Bennett the Sage is, that, um, that my friend, that my, that my podcast podcasting friend Slate is and that we, we grew up on old school Trigon 
nuke school trigun is its own thing, but not quite. Like what it's what it was doing last I watched was it was taking two episodes of the old show and mashing them together into the into a new show into a new thing into what it hoped was a new thing that it could present to you. And it just, it felt weird to watch. A bunch of old takus either put that aside and didn't watch it, or, and what what lots of people are doing is they're going on to Crunchyroll, they're both on Crunchyroll, and they're finding the old show, and they're rediscovering that old show because something new has happened in that property, in that sphere, that made them want to be like, oh, this was interpreted before. I wonder what the differences are. And it turns out lots of people are loving the old Trigon again, which is bananas and like an unintended consequence of this and great. Um, but if, what, so what I would say to you is like, who's the perfect person to go watch this show? I would say that if you liked, if you like Cyberpunk Edge Runners, check this the fuck out. Just check it out. You can, like I said, it's on High Dive, which I know is another streaming service, but definitely go check out um, Black Magic M66. If your favorite thing is anything Cyberpunk, check this out. If you're really into like militaristic stories. Like, let's say, this is going to be a weird, this is going to be a weird thing. Um, if you like the new reinterpretation, the new adaptation of Spriggan, maybe go check out M66. The, Sybil, the main character, is kind of the female version of the main character of Spriggan in lots of ways. Also, Spriggan is from this time period. It was just readapted around now to be for a new audience. But, like, there is an original Spriggan that exists that you can go watch. Also, um, I don't think they have the original Spriggan on Netflix, but you're welcome to look. Um, but I just, I, I, found, I found myself sitting here, sitting and watching this. Yet, I'm recording this day it comes out for once, like an irresponsible asshole. Watching this, and just, like, kind of marveling at, like, this is, this is the, like, this is a, this is a starting point for the much more, the much more well-known things that came after it. Like, Akira is considered to be a... Animated work, an animated masterpiece. Ghost in the Shell, the original print of Ghost in the Shell, not the weird new one where they added in some computer graphics, and certainly not fucking the live action movie or Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence is so strange. Um, Ghost in the Shell is also considered to be an animated masterpiece. This has those moments in it. There's a great moment where um, Sybil, early on where Sybil shows up at Ferris's house. Because it turns out the, 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 the basic jumping off point of this is um, Sybil is a freelance 
wartime reporter and she discovers a um, military plane crash and this military plane was carrying these two M66 murder murder robots, murder androids, basically. And their base programming wasn't set yet. But what was set is like the like the the test programming where they like just needed for well, like, the person who did robotics designer who you meet later, um, his name is his name is Professor Matthew. Professor Matthew needed like a person to throw into the to to the like programming to like just have a target. And like a fucking idiot, he throws in his granddaughter who lives with him, Ferris. And so these things are on the loose and they're intended to be like out there killing terrorists. But they are targeting essentially a teenage girl. Um, and high, and basically hijinks ensue. And it becomes this keep this girl alive at all costs scenario of Sybil and Ferris basically running from this murder, from this big naked, naked murder robot lady that is trying to kill them. With just everything it's got. But it's also like a... It had no sense of urgency. It's just an ever-approaching force. And... The military falling closely behind. Trying not to die. And trying to fucking murder this robot. <laughs> if that sounds like a good... If that sounds like a good zany time to you... Like, definitely go check this out. Once again, it's on High Dive. Um... But in High Dive, I think it's like five bucks a month. And once you're on, once you have a High Dive subscription, I highly recommend. Even though their app is not the best, even though it's a struggle to deal with, even if it makes you log in every five seconds, High Dive has some great shit on it, y'all. It's got some. It's got. If you if you want to go on a magical journey through retro anime the two services i would recommend are first retro crush which is free but it's got a free tier that commercial supported kind of like old hulu used to be um or even um like an all retro anime youtube essentially and then the next best thing is high dive high dive has a lot of older shows because high dives like licensing arm is or High Dive is the streaming arm of the license of the licensor um, of of Sentai of Sen of Sentai Entertainment, which is I think owned by AMC at this point, which is really depressing to think about. But in any case, the so at some some point early on, Sybil is in. This like fucked up house in all of its fucked up glory because the 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 M sixty six android had been here and is trying to find Ferris and Ferris is like in the city at a friend's house sleeping over and Sybil finds this out and she's like got to collect herself for a second because now she's got to go all the way back to the fucking city which she just came from to like go find this girl and save her ass and save her dumb little ass. And she sits down on this couch in this wrecked apartment. Then this couch seems like it's in one piece, but it definitely seemed better days. It's like got chunks taken out of it. And the couch just falls in half. 
under her weight. And it's this, just this beautiful moment of, moment of animation. It's this beautiful cut of animation that, like, everybody loves... People deeply love Chainsaw Man. And, and what everybody universally acknowledges about Chainsaw Man, that thing, that thing as a property is a flex on the world of animation of like, look, we can do this shit too. In a way that not even something like um, Cyberpunk was. Like Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk, the cool effects they used were ways for them to, were ways for Trigger, which is a hallmark of Trigger stuff, to butt up against budget and time constraints. Like the, the effect that's demonstrating the San Devastan is an animatic. It's not complicated. It's a computer effect that they could apply. And it, while it is great and while it looks cool as hell and while it is used correctly and stylistically, it is also a way to stay on budget. Older stuff like this is what it looked like when they used every last fucking penny. And that's the reason why older stuff like Ghost in the Shell, like um, Akira, like M66, hold up so well. It's because they weren't cutting corners. There was no... There was... The most style... The style it has is the drawing style of anime of the time. It's not stylist... It's not style to make up for function ever. It's no. We could, we draw we drew this like this because we thought it looked cool. And we animated like this because we took the time and we took the... And we did... We went through the effort of doing this as a process. And, it, and like I keep saying, like if anything that I've told you about this show, about this OVA strikes your fancy in any way, go watch it. it it'll be worth your time. Um, and on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. New episodes on Thursday are what I call Thursday editions. They're more like this. They're more about a specific thing or property. Um, new episodes on Sunday, every other Sunday, are what I call the Sunday editions. They're more metatextual. I have one coming up this Sunday. I gotta decide what I'm gonna do for that. But until then, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. If you like the podcast, subscribe to it in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. And share it with your friends. And go to your podcast app of choice. And leave a five-star review. It really helps people find the show. It really helps the show in whatever ranking there is, I'm sure. Um, but I will talk to you on Sunday.